Today's episode is brought to you by dogs, potentially interrupting this podcast at any moment. Welcome to Working Drafts. I'm your host, Ted Fox. And if you found this podcast, hopefully it's because you love writing as much as I do and as much as my guests do. This is a show focused on the craft, the process of writing. We focus on what my guests are currently working on and what they're navigating on the page to bring those stories to life. And I'm thrilled today for my very first episode uh, to be joined by Amy Carroll Reeves. Amy, welcome. Thank you, Ted. <laughs> Glad to be here. So a- Amy and I have known each other over email for a while, but this is the, the first time that we've interacted pseudo in person <laughs> over, <laughs> over a video call. Uh, we have the same literary agent, Jessica Sinsheimer, and she introduced us. And I'm excited that I get to talk to Amy today. She has a PhD in 19th century English literature. And when she finished her PhD, she started writing novels. Uh, Her first one, Ripper, was a young adult paranormal gothic novel about the Jack the Ripper murders in Victorian London. And then she actually wrote a trilogy, Renegade and then Resurrection came after that to um, complete that story. But if you know, if, if you found this show, if you listened to the trailer, if you read the title, hopefully it's implicit in the title, that we're focused less on what the writers who come on the show have already published and more about what they're working on right now, hence the name Working Drafts, the the issues and the things that they're trying to work through as they bring their current stories to life on the page. So with the caveat that as a writer, there's certain things you can share about what you're working on and there's certain things you can't, depending on where you are in the editorial process, what may change, what may not change, all those sorts of things. Amy, can you give us kind of a, it's like an overview, like a 5,000 foot look at what you're working on right now. Sure. Sure. Um, my current book is about a modern widow who tries to grapple with grief through appealing to very detailed and rigid Victorian grieving practices. And what I mean by that is uh, Queen Victoria really set the standards for how people should grieve. And so it was expected that everyone, particularly widows, I think a lot of the burden fell on widows, um, should follow these very specific rituals, um, wear black for two to four years, depending on the length of the marriage, um, tie cre- black crepe around faces, doorknobs in the house, maybe wear black armbands to show their mourning. Um, but there was a lot of emphasis put on the ritual of this. Um, and so this book was a chance for me to take both my PhD research in Victorian lit, as well as my own personal experience as a widow, and, um, and apply it to my book. So um, in addition to going through these rituals, my main character um, goes on a journey. Um, She travels to England, starting in London, and um, she actually ends up in Bronte country. Uh, And some of this idea um, came to me because I love books about journeys. I was thinking of like Eat, Pray, Love, where you have um, geographical journeys that mirror journeys of the heart and personal experiences. So um, that really um, inspired this story. Um, and I do want to emphasize that it's also fun. Um, my main character, <laughs> it's not just griefy and sad. That, that's always, <laughs> it's always good when it's also fun. That's never a bad thing. Yes. Yes. Um, so my main character, when she gets to London has some hilarious nights out, she finds love. Um, she has just some crazy experiences and, and she makes some wonderful friends. Um, but it's basically the story of how she reassembles herself along the way. So one thing that I, and I shared this with you beforehand, that I think 
is really interesting. It interests me about something that you do. And I would imagine maybe this might veer more into the first three books you wrote, but clearly based on what you've said here would be true too. How do you approach that balance between, I need this grounded in historical accuracy in order for the book to work, in order for it, for someone who, like you do, I mean, given your academic background, who knows the details of these things, like if you're talking about these grieving practices or when you're writing about, you know, the Jack the Ripper murders, you know, something that happened 140 years ago or whatever it was. Right. How do you balance that with, well, here's some things I can change in order to service the story and make it and do what I need to do. Because that's one thing that I always have a hard time. I don't write historical, but I always am like, is someone going to read this and think, well, he didn't really didn't know what he talked about. But then it's like, no, I changed that because I just needed to make it work. How right, do you, right. how do you think about that in your books? Um, well, this is a challenge for me, particularly in historic fiction, um, because with my PhD research, my academic uh, background, I like to be precise. Um, so sometimes in my fiction, I have a tendency to get weighted down on details that might not be important mm. to the story. Um, so, um, and I do, I do remember in my first book, Ripper, my editor um, would make comments sometimes like Victorian-ish, Amy, Victorian-ish, like, <laughs> like, like not too, you know, this doesn't have to be an academic footnote. Um, so right, right. that's, that's something that I always have to work with. Um, but for instance, like in my particular story that I'm talking about now, if my character is wandering through Bronte country, what matters to me is how, um, the Bronte books um, mirror her own personal journey through grief. Um, I love details. I love historical details, like how Charlotte Bronte, she was the longest surviving Bronte sister, um, how she wandered around a certain waterfall with her husband or meaningful snippets of letters from the sister's writings. Um, but I have to avoid the tendency to get bogged down on, say, architectural details of the Bronte sure. Parsonage or um, timelines of the family's history and death, because um, my tendency is just to include everything for accuracy. Um, so a lot of my editing process is keeping the interesting details and the text, the well, the things that give the story texture um, and relate directly to my characters' experiences while lightening up and cutting excessive historical detail. So. When you're doing that, do you find that are you putting it on the page with the extra detail and then going back and pulling things out? Or are you doing something akin to more in real time where it's like, oh, that's my impulse is to put that in there, but I'm going to. I'm going to read it back and I'm not even going to write it in the first place. Um, no, it's definitely, it, I definitely have it all there right away. Yeah. Um, just being the academic nerd that I am, I have way too much information. <laughs> so a scene that might be five pages as I draft it might end up being two. Um, I had an editor one time and I loved this comment and this is something I keep in mind. She said, cut the fat, Amy. So I think of it as like liposuction. You pull out kind of the things that don't matter and keep what seems really important and interesting. So. Right. Is it, have you found in the project that you're working on now, has that, has that experience been the same to you as it was with the Ripper novels in terms of I guess what I'm asking was, was that a more difficult process with the Ripper novels where there were more of those historical details that you wanted to put in versus since the story is set in contemporary times, it's 
still important to it, but it's not the story isn't set there. Was it the same process this time or was it was it different for you? Um, I think it was different for me. I think with Ripper, um, so many people are familiar with the Jack the Ripper murders or interested in that story. Um, so I so I was playing with a lot of, uh, well, there were, there were so many details, so, so many details. And I was also, um, I had also just start, that was my first published novel. So, um, I feel more experienced now, um, than I sure. did writing that one. Um, I mean, we're always evolving as writers. Um, but I do definitely feel because like, because this was a contemporary book with, um, Victorian and historic details, it made the process a little easier. So I kind of asked you a question there a few minutes ago about something that as an outsider looking at the genres you've worked in that I wonder about. And certainly, like I said, I don't write historical, but I was, I have um, a manuscript due when this comes out, I guess due two weeks after this episode will come out. (laughs) And (laughs) yes, thank you. But there was a scene at the, um, the Art Institute of Chicago where I really needed what you were talking about, like it really hit home because I really needed there to be a certain kind of bench in front of um, this George Surratt painting, (laughs) the Art Institute for this scene to work. And like, I'm looking at a picture of that gallery online. It's like, oh, those benches don't look like that. And I'm like, I'm admonishing myself kind of like, it's almost like the Victorian-ish thing. Like, okay, it's okay. You can change the bench in the room, dude. Like, (laughs) like, so- so I totally like, that's why my mind gravitated there. But I, I'm wondering what for you with this book that you've been working on now, has there been anything in particular, maybe a new kind of challenge writing wise that maybe you hadn't experienced before or just something that has really forced you to kind of work it out on the page beyond kind of what I just asked you about there to start? Yes. Um, well, I feel like in Ripper, because the whole book is takes place in the Victorian period, it is historic fiction. Um, and this one's a little different because it's contemporary. So one thing that I did have to work with is it's completely impractical to become 100% of a Victorian widow, right? <laughs> um, so I had to... Good point. Good point. <laughs> so my tendency is I wanted to make her like 100% authentic, um, where she's um, has the exact type of, you know, she's wearing these long dresses and petticoats and but we we can't we can't do that really in the modern world. There's still you know I, we still have to text. There's antibiotics, right? right? There's Netflix. Right. <laughs> so that was something that I had to grapple as I was writing this um, um, to make the the world feel make it feel like she is following this plan, but also that she's a real person functioning in a real world. So I had to decide along the way what was going to go with the story and what I had to even even if it might have been a real authentic Victorian widow ritual, but what I was going to get, get rid of. (laughs) Were there, were there any, was there anything in terms of the rituals? If she, if your main character had been literally a Victorian widow that you were not able to include in that book, in, in the book for that exact reason of this really just doesn't translate to someone living in 2023. Mm hmm. Um, I think it was mostly the technology um, because she does a lot of letter writing. um, And in fact, she tries to stick to that mostly, but we can't just do letter writing in the modern world. And it was, I found it really 
a challenge and actually impossible to have a book where a character doesn't have access to a cell phone. And so I did, yeah, so I did have to incorporate texting in that. And I just tried to get back to that Victorian ish. <laughs> right. Was it something that, and I, I mean, I know, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work with Jessica. So I mm-hmm. have an insight probably more than most listening to this, what it's like to work with her on a, a manuscript. And she certainly has pushed me a lot over the years in terms of just refining my stories and, you know, and getting kind of the rough edges sanded off, or maybe I'm going down a path and this isn't really going to work. Were you, did you have that kind of a, a similar kind of experience before I keep going back to, I really like the way you said that about the Victorian ish thing mm-hmm. uh, when you were doing the Ripper novels did you have that experience working on this where maybe she read it and was, this is great, but we're getting too far away from this 21st century character and, and what she would be experiencing? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, Jessica was wonderful in terms of keeping the backbone on my character and not letting me meander off on half page footnotes of Victorian widows or Bronte sisters. Um, But yet one of the things that I loved about working with Jessica is she still loves texture and historic detail. So um, if there was a snippet from a Bronte sister letter that was relevant, have that in an interesting historical uh, fact or trivia piece. So she was just, she was very helpful along that, that path. Um, But yeah. Yes. Do you, how would you, and maybe, maybe you'd point me back to your previous answers, but I'll ask the question anyway. How would you compare the experience in terms of, I don't even want to put a frame around it. How would you compare the experience of taking this historical material that clearly you're very familiar with from your academic background and in one sense or in one series, you did it where you're literally setting these books to take place in that era. But here, this is almost like a, you know, it's a 21st century meditation on these practices that probably by and large have have disappeared from the world. Did you find, I guess, one or one of those two approaches to be more challenging or are they are they too different to compare them in terms of either setting a story in an era that you've never experienced firsthand or trying to bridge between an area you've never experienced and the age that we're all living in right now? I don't know if one or the other would be harder. Yes. Uh, Well, I think there were challenges for both, but definitely I like the way you put that bridging an experience from from basically bridging the Victorian with the modern in a believable modern setting. Um, so one thing, Victorians love letter writing, and I'm getting back to that now again. And so, uh, but we all we all text now. So one thing right. that was I think kind of artistically fun for me was to play with, and the Victorians just had some like if you can if you look back at the, there, there's just some very um, um, fun and sarc- you can look back with famous letters from Victorian writers, just fun and sarcastic letters. Um, They really knew how to write their letters. And so (laughs) one thing that I realized was it's fun to play with that in the modern world, right? How do we do that through text, right? We can, we can have very 
well-spoken and sarcastic text. So I felt like it was it was really kind of nice to blend both of those together. So to take Victorian sentiment, Victorian wit, um, Victorian maybe even some formalities and put it in modern text, modern modern technology. So I had, yeah, I had fun kind of blending those communications. Um, it was a new and fun experience for me. So did you do that in this current project where you literally, where it would be in the text, where it would literally be a text message that was written out more, something more akin to the kind of letter writing that I, they would have done? Yeah, at least in the tone. Yes, yes. Sure, so, sure. So just like, yeah, maybe some, um, yeah, just more um, pithy, sarcastic tones, um, smart insults, <laughs> that kind of thing, wordy, smart insults. Um, Victorians were very good at that. So yeah, so I really enjoyed that. And I, I had a lot of fun writing the text. So basically, when I wrote those scenes, it would be like, I'm going to write the text like I'm a Victorian <laughs> with well, a cell phone so, in my hand. <laughs> and I love that. And I'm wondering how do again not like not asking you to reveal any plot details but how do the people in her life that she's writing to how do they respond to that do they feel like well something out of the ordinary is going on here do they know she's kind of going through this process how are those how are those text messages received and how did you again how how did you manage that from wanting to honor that victorian tradition with okay, well, she's texting this way to someone in 2023 mm -hmm. who might see this on their phone and say, what? What? What is this? How did, how did you manage that? Well, within her world, and she does do, she gets back to letter writing. So she writes these beautiful letters, mean letters. She, she starts corresponding with her colleagues with letters. And um, a lot of her colleagues start to think she's peculiar. Um, they even ridicule her at times. And that's part <laughs> of the reason why she just has to get away from it all and go to England. Um, but the text, um, it was more, it came out more in the text of, in drafting, I think one of the most difficult parts of the process is getting the voice down. And um, Jessica has actually said that without saying the character's name or she said, or he said, um, you should know who's speaking just by the words they use, the tone, it, it should all be that clear. It's almost like acting in a sense, I think, getting that voice down, you have to embody the character's voice. Um, so it was really fun. I think that came out in the texting, um, where I could, you know, I'm not just going to write an insult, but I'm going to write an insult in a way, a very smart, um, witty, sarcastic middle-aged widow would write it. <laughs> yeah, I, that's really interesting to me because like, I think one thing that I'm sure will come out in the course of these conversations on the show is I love to write dialogue. It's probably one of my favorite things to write. And texting is kind of, you know, it, it's the cousin of dialogue in a way. Yes. And I think it's always an interest. I was just going through this the other day with, I had written something out and it's finding that balance between, I want the reader to understand it and look like I'm not I mean, I, I do humor, so not to always look like I'm doing a bit or I'm trying to be the hip 43-year-old who, like, gets how the kids are talking kind of thing. But you also need to try and get something in there that's reflective of what you were talking about there, of that voice of this is how someone would text. And, yes, I, I punctuate my texts in my books, but I'm also aware that most people, when they text, they don't they don't punctuate, yeah. or at least a certain age, they don't <laughs> right, punctuate. Right. And so I like that 
tension between they don't mean tension like cringy tension but mm-hmm. that writing tension of how do you find that and like you said like i think that's such a great tip for people is if you're doing a good job with the voice of your characters or at least kind of your main characters mm-hmm. that people should be able to know who's talking without the attribution there um yes and trying to get all those components to come together into dialogue that moves the story along and right. is in the right voice and rings true enough that it lets you do what you need to do, I think is a really interesting challenge. And I, the way you've articulated it here, I think it's really cool that you're thinking about it then in terms of that, um, that lens of Victorian culture kind of being placed over it and trying to translate it through that. Yeah. Yeah. And um yeah, and it, it was, and I really loved writing this book for that reason, um, because I was able to take all the research that I've, my PhD research, like all, everything over the years and just really have fun with it in a contemporary world. Um, but yes, yes. I, so yeah. is it still, is it what you're doing now? Is it still considered historical fiction or would it be more contemporary fiction? Like how would you It'd be contemporary fiction. Contemporary. Yes, yeah, I yes. guess she's living in 2023. That makes sense, right? Yes, yes. Are the, I mean, this is, I mean, when I, I told people, if you're listening, <laughs> podcast about craft, because it gets really in the weeds here. How do the the word count expectations compare between what you're, like, I know for, I, I do contemporary fiction, and it's supposed to be kind of funny, whatever. It's like mm-hmm. 80,000 words is kind of my, hmm. that's like my benchmark. How what were you looking at for this book and how did that compare to when you were doing historical fiction before? Well, I think for historical fiction, the word count would be expected to be higher, um, maybe even over 90,000. Because mm-hmm. I was doing young adult fiction, it was it was um, a lower word count. Got, um, it. Got it. Yeah. This one is in the 70,000-ish um, 70, word count. Um, so that, and that was about the ballpark I was aiming at. I didn't want it to be too long, um, which it easily could have been <laughs> had I not right. liposuctioned. <laughs> so. Well, may, maybe it gets published and then maybe someday there would be like the director's cut. That's like, yes. did, <laughs> did you want all the extra historical information? Here it all is. Yes. This book is now 120,000 words long. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> I would nerd out. I always, <laughs> I always... I always love talking to someone too who might not think it's the most interesting question, but can have the word count conversation. Because when I talk to people who don't write, they're like, well, how many pages is it? And I'm like, well, that doesn't really, that doesn't mean anything. Nope. Like I can tell you the word count and then you say the word count and they'll say, I don't know what that means. Like, right. what, what, what are you telling me that you had a good weekend? You wrote 2,500 words. It's like, well... Yeah, I know what it means. Yeah, it was a good yeah. weekend for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do love that, and I think that that is true. We we tend to measure our um, progress in our books with word count as opposed to pages, um, because you yeah. might have a whole page of Victorian text, right? <laughs> I I always when I look at the I, sometimes I have those I, I get very self conscious. Like I'll look at a page where I have a ton of dialogue or text, and I'm like, did I put enough stuff on this page? And then I'll be reading a book from. And like, I love Emily Henry's novels and like, Mm -hmm. she is so good with dialogue. And then I'll read like a page or a half a page or two thirds. I'm like, 
oh, she just did a whole bunch of dialogue here and it's great. So now I feel good about myself again, whether my dialogue is as good as hers or not, yes. probably not, but I feel good about myself again because <laughs> someone I really look up to and they, and they did that. So full page um, of dialogue. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So where can people find you either on social media, your website, you know, to, to keep up with you. And I mean, hopefully good news about this, this book sometime soon Thank as well. You. Thank you. Well, anyone can find me on my Twitter account, Amy Carol Reeves, um, and Instagram account, Amy Carol Reeves, and um, my website, amycarolreeves.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so, 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 so much for talking to me about the current book, the previous books, and for bearing with me and helping me figure out. <laughs> the first episode of this show as I do it on the fly. But really, it's uh, I'm, I'm so glad we finally got to have an actual conversation and so glad that you could be my first guest for this. Thank you. I've enjoyed this. Thank you, Ted. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Working Drafts come out on the 15th of the month. For more, visit my website, thetedfox.com.